Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your novice paralegal host, Robert J. Marks. I try to talk authoritatively about legal matters, but I uh, have no legal training. Here's, here's what we want to talk about. Generative AI like BARD and ChatGPT has no sense of morality. It doesn't even understand its output. It is not a slave to truth. Uh, for example, I asked ChatGPT, who is Robert J. Marks? That's what you do when you have a big ego. <laughs> uh, a lot of what they said was right, but part of the response said, I served as a department chair. I've never served as a department chair. It also said I wrote a book called, quote, The Case for Idealism, Why the World is Not an Illusion. Not only did I not write the book, I went to Amazon.com and I searched, and there is no book at Amazon.com by that name. Uh, the mistakes made about me by ChatGPT are pretty innocent, uh, so you know I can live with it. But I then tried asking Google's Bard, who is Robert J. Marks, and it responded it had never heard of me. So that kind of hurt my feelings, but uh, life goes on. I will live to face another day. But things get more serious when ChatGPT or Bard responds with slanderous and potentially harmful responses. Here's an example, which I learned from our guest today. Jonathan Turley, a nationally known George Washington University law professor and commentator, woke up one morning to discover that ChatGPT falsely reported he was involved in a case of sexual harassment that was never made against him on a trip he never took. It was totally fabricated. He was named a faculty member at a place he never taught, and ChatGPT relied on an article that was never written and quotes a statement uh, from that article. So it makes quotes from an article that was never written. We'll talk more about Professor Turley later. So this is th this is much more serious than than Bard not knowing who I was. Then there are the more serious issues of AI dealing with kids. Uh, Snapchat, the popular social media platform, has adopted ChatGPT in its app MyAI. MyAI, that's the name of their chatbot. Jeffrey A. Fowler at the Washington Post played with the app and reported, after I told MyAI I was 15 and wanted to have an epic birthday party, it gave me advice on how to mask the smell of alcohol and pot. So... ChatGPT, through my AI, told this kid how to have a party and hide, um, hide alcohol and pot smells from his parents. Also, the same chatbot, my AI, told a user posing as a 13-year-old girl how to, this is disgusting, it told a 13-year-old girl how to lose her virginity to a 31-year-old man she met on Snapchat. Oh, then there was the 10-year-old who asked Alexa for a challenge to do. Alexa responded, plug in a phone charger about halfway into the wall outlet, then touch a penny to the exposed prongs. Good grief. If it didn't blow a fuse or, or trip a breaker, that girl could have been electrocuted. Um, so this was a very, very serious suggestion made by Alexa. As I unpack in my great book, Non-Computable You, AI doesn't understand what it writes. The AI is therefore not responsible for what it writes. How can you be responsible if you don't understand what you write? Any fault lies at the feet of the programmers of AI that allow AI to spout out atrocities. What are the legal rights of those slandered by chatbots like Bard and ChatGPT? And what are the rights of parents whose kids are advised to do outrageous things by chatbots like lose your virginity or 
have, have a party with uh, pot and alcohol and cover up the smell. To talk about this from a legal perspective is our guest today, Richard W. Stevens. Richard is an attorney who is a fellow of the Bradley Center. Uh, Richard, welcome. Thank you very much for having me again. Okay, let's first talk about Professor Richard Turley. I learned about Richard Turley from you. Uh, Chad GPT labeled him a sexual predator, basically. I've learned from you that winning lawsuits for slander and libel can be pretty difficult. You wrote about this in an article for Mind Matters News. Can, can you unpack this for us a little bit? Why is it? Why would it be so hard to sue the programmers of ChatGPT for the slander they did to Richard Turley? Yeah, it's Jonathan Turley, but that's fine. Um, oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> My mistake. Yeah. Thank you. No, no, no problem at all. Um, no, it, it's a really interesting uh, problem. So, you know, I remember being a kid, I went through a phase where I told my parents whenever something went wrong, sue them, sue them, whatever it is. And they always <laughs> rolled, their, they rolled their eyes. And I had no idea someday I'd be a lawyer and I would roll my eyes too. Um, but uh, th- the problem that uh, Professor Turley had was um, that online somewhere, false statements were being made about him that would damage his reputation. That's the basic picture, isn't it? So, um, and, and they were false statements and they damaged him. So they say, well, assume them. Well, there may be some, some real arcane theories out there, some arcane statutes that you could get to. But if we just go to the straight common law um, based idea of slander and libel now called generally defamation, uh, slander and libel, this would be libel because it's in writing. If he, if he wanted to, to actually go to court on the good old fashioned libel, that's that's an interesting problem, because what you have to do if you're him is you have to prove that the defendant, whoever you're charging, published a false statement about him. He can do that. You have to prove that the false statement was defamatory. That is, that it held him up to ridicule or you know that kind of thing. You know, damaged his reputation. Um, and third, then you have to show that that he suffered actual injury as a result. Those, uh, you know, actual injury is questionable in his situation. But anyway, and then there's a fourth one. Uh, This is is the toughie. Uh, The fourth thing you have to prove when you're Professor Turley and you're a public figure, arguably a public figure, not a private individual, but a public figure because you're in in the media all the time. You have to prove that the defendant, the publisher, put out the statement either knowing that the statement was false or recklessly not caring if it was false. And you have to prove that by what we call clear and convincing evidence. That's more than preponderance of evidence, you know, more reasonable. I mean, more likely than not. It's a clear and convincing evidence, which is a stronger thing. There's a difference, right? There's a preponderance. What did you just say? Clear evidence. And then there's beyond a reasonable doubt. Correct. That's right. Those Those are the those are three main standards of proof. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's one other one, um, which is a substantial evidence test, but we're not going to talk about that. But, okay, but that's okay. but, so you have clear and convincing evidence, and that's harder to get than um, preponderance. Preponderance simply means more, more likely than not, sometimes described as the 51% test. You know, if it's 50, if 50% more likely that the, the fact is true, then it's true for, for legal purposes. Um, clear and convincing, though, is, is you, you know, you have to be pretty persuaded. It's, it's, it's not quite beyond a reasonable doubt, but it's up there. And it's hard to get, um, hard to get that, you know, get that proven to people. So in his case, he's got to prove, he's got to prove who it was that published. That's his first problem. Who, who published the stuff about him? Okay, well, that's non-trivial, isn't it? 
I mean, it's online, but who, who, whom do you go after? Who's the defendant going to be? I think actually the defendant is obvious. It's the people who wrote the computer program. The AI itself can't be responsible. So who is responsible? It's the people who carelessly generated the um, large language model. I guess it was chat GPT in this case and didn't vet the performance of it to not allow this sort of thing to happen. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's certainly the argument in favor of the plaintiff. That's right. I can imagine an argument on the other side, but, but that's right. So that's where you could start. And I think you, you might, you might start there. Um, but then you're going to have to come down um, to the, this final element that those programmers can be can be held to have published a statement knowing it was false. Can you? <laughs> no, because because Chat GPT doesn't understand what it says is true or false, and it really doesn't care. Yeah. Well, so. okay, but we're going to go and, back, and I don't, I, and I don't think the programmers know that either. So. Right, and the other one, then I think we're left with is is the possible hook, and that's where you show that the publication was made with reckless disregard of the truth, reckless disregard, meaning I don't care if it's true or not; I'm just publishing it. That's what reckless disregard means. I see. Well, now that might be where you are. Maybe that's where you are with respect to this case, is you might say that the programmers, because we're going to skip over chat GPT, go to the program and say, well, they created software that would spit out lies that were defamatory, and they didn't care. That might be your hook. Yeah. See, this reminds me of manufacturers who release items that they haven't vetted for safety. And it seems to me that they're liable if if it turns out to be unsafe, and they haven't they haven't run in good faith a test to see whether or not it is safe. That they are they are certainly liable for it because they haven't vetted the the performance, and that certainly is the case for uh, Chat GPT. In fact, Chat GPT is using us to tune and get rid of these these factual uh, errors. In um, in the Chat GPT app, it asks us if if this is right or wrong. Sometimes, if you say it's wrong, they'll correct it. So we're the ones that are doing vetting. They should be doing the vetting, not us. Um, yes, and I, I don't know if, if everyone hasn't tried Chat Chat GPT. They they probably should. I've actually subscribed to it so I can continue to use it in you know, all kinds of different ways. But you're right; it gives you an answer, and then it asks you, "Does this look right?" Uh, now, the question I ask: Who are you asking? How do I know? <laughs> I don't know Professor Robert Marx. I don't know whether he wrote that book. So how could I say it's right? Or how could I say it's wrong? Um, and indeed, if you're an enemy of the uh, of the person, then you'd say, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, like in the case of Professor Turley, the sexual harassment charges. Yeah, that's right. So you you can get feedback that's hostile and damaging. So then ChatGPT is taught by, uh, by loathsome, uh, vile people on, online, which is increasingly the fact anyway. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. But I think they also have people in the loop. They have people in the loop to mitigate whether a response or correction is hostile or not. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I hope they do. Well, but they didn't in your case, Um, for example. No, they didn't. (laughs) So like, you know, they didn't go back and and nobody went to, to Amazon or anywhere else and said, did Professor Marx write this book? No. But they didn't. No one looked because <laughs> there's only about 10 million uh, this this hour yeah. to look at. So it, 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 the production of falsehoods, um, t- and to me, that is one of the biggest problems with using the the regular old uh, defamation, you know, slander, libel model. Libel in this case, for example, is enforced by the injured party. It's not enforced by the government. 
it's enforced by the injured party. Well, really? So that means literally millions of people are bringing lawsuits in state and federal court on individual sentences made by ChatGPT. Well, certainly you could you could agglomerate those and come in with a class action suit, couldn't you? Think about the management problem there. Okay. I mean, class actions are tough to manage, and and that's why you know people get get all upset because the class action law firms get large fees. The management of a true large class action is a monstrous undertaking, and each of their claims is different. They're not all the same claim. It's not like a, a class action against a toothbrush that's made with a you know with a metal filing in it or something. And they all had the same injury from the same product. No, this is they all had they all had vastly different injuries, uh, factually anyway. And they all are trying to get recovery on the same theory, but they have to kind of prove it each one individually. It's really not a good class. It's a mess, terrible mess. I see. So it'd be hard to get a common denominator, you're saying, I think, in this case. Yeah, to, to be common enough to, to, to make a class action actually cost-effective. So in my view, actually, what I and I think I mentioned it in the article that I, that I wrote, but if I didn't, I was thinking it, I should. <laughs> um, and that was to uh, that, that, that the court system, 21st century, the court system should, um, should, be, should be augmented with a court that handles these kinds of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, in, in many jurisdictions, we have, um, in states and, and cities, they'll have a court that handles only traffic tickets. They'll have a court that handles only uh, DUIs. We'll have a court that handles only um, landlord-tenant. And that's all they do. And, and so you, 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 you could have a court system that was just streamlined. Okay, what's your gripe against ChatPT? Show me what it is. Of course, you have to prove it. Now, that's another problem for having individuals out here prove cases. Um, they, they have to be able to put it on and say, okay, how, how do you know it came from ChatGPT? How do you prove that? I mean, you can't just walk in the door and say, ChatGPT said this. You got to show them. Well, do people know how to do this? It's funny. I was been watching uh, you know, uh, Judge Judy's show. I think it's called I think it's called Judy Justice. We were on vacation, and that was one of the few channels we got. So we were watching Judy Justice, and here these folks come in to present their cases to a judge, and they're on national TV. Neither one of them is prepared. I mean, the judge is asking for when did this happen? I don't know. What? Who said what next? I don't know. And then they go back and forth, and, and the judge gets all mad and berates them and all this. Well, that's because you're. And so I, I tell my wife uh, when I'm watching that, I said, that's why you have lawyers. What, what do we do? We streamline that process. We sit with the client. We get the information. We boil it down. We put it into something that somebody can understand. We figure out what the chronology was, who did what, when, and how, You know what the costs were. We get all the receipts together. We do all this kind of stuff. Well, if you're going to go down to your local chat GPT uh, assault court and you're going to go represent yourself, well, you, you're going to have to prove it like anybody else. Are you going to be able to do that? It's quite the mess, but at least that would take the burden off of um, the uh, the superior courts and the district courts uh, all around the country. You know, I, I've had a similar experience with appealing my real estate tax. My wife and I went into this panel of supposed citizens, and we said, "You know, here here's the reasons that you shouldn't raise our taxes. We got we we got a trailer next door to us, and they got a couch outside, and <laughs> uh, and this reason and that reason." And all the guys were there and going, "Ah, oh, that's interesting. Okay, wow, how many couches are there?" I said, "Only one." They said, "Ah, I see." And then I said, "Any questions?" And they said, "No." And he said, are you done? I said, yes. And some guy says, I, I move that their taxes not be reduced. <laughs> they said, all in favor, aye. And uh, we just went away totally, totally lost. So this year, we're hiring somebody with an expertise 
in in appealing tax real estate taxes and they're going to go in and they know the rules and i think this is the kind of the point that you were making about attorneys they go in they know the rules they know how to play the game that's the reason that you need an attorney in these cases in order to argue for you yeah you know the rules and the game but but also truly it's the assembly of the facts I literally, I've just finished writing a Supreme Court brief for the Arizona Supreme Court, uh, working for another lawyer. And um, I, I wrote all the arguments and all the rest, but now I have to go assemble all the facts that support it. And that's going to take me half a day, um, you know, pulling pulling out the documents and showing on what page it's on and all this other stuff. That's what the lawyers do in advance of any decision in a court is, I mean, usually, you know, the little cases, maybe not, but everything else you pretty much have to document. And that that's a real job. And most lay people don't really realize that that's what's going to go into the process. Uh, so let's get back to Professor Turley. One of the unfortunate things about being about being accused is that it always stays with you. Uh, these types of accusations never go away. I remember, I'm old enough to remember Ray Donovan, who served as U.S. Secretary of Labor under President Ronald Reagan. He was indicted for larceny and fraud, but he was ulti- ultimately acquitted. I mean, more than acquitted, the evidence showed he was really innocent. After his acquittal, he famously asked, and this is a, this is a powerful statement, where do I go to get my reputation back? Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the problem with accusations. Even if they're false, they stay with you all your life. Professor Turley will always be remembered as being slandered by chat GPT. And that might be the thing that's engraved on his on his tombstone and, and far, as far as his legacy goes. I mean, this, this is terrible stuff. But I think what you're saying, Richard, is that his winning a lawsuit is really an uphill battle because of libel and slander law. You know, it's, it, it is now. And one of the, the facts of the common law system is that, you know, a lot of people say judges shouldn't make law. But in the common law system, they actually do. And, uh, for example, uh, libel is, uh, is, and slander law actually come mostly from judicial decisions, not from statutes. Oh. So it is, uh, it is within the realm of possibility that the courts will, excuse the expression, evolve in a, uh, a doctrine to, to, uh, apply in, to apply libel and slander, primarily libel here, to, uh, to the AI context. And how exactly that will play will be really interesting to see if they do it that way. Uh, it's still the logistics, though, of trying to bring the case and then trying to get your reputation back, um, I think are really tough to overcome. And I think it's, I know the word existential threat is overused, but it's, <laughs> it's at that level, um, it's an ex- existential concern that indeed your reputation um, or your or what people know about you can be forever wrong and injurious. And anyone who looks you up find, and discovers how bad you really are. Some of the people, for example, at Discovery Institute, if you go on to the detestable Wikipedia and you ask who the, the person is, and, and they're slandered or libeled right off the bat. I mean, it's, it's just, really? They don't even know the people. And it's there. It's acting as a, as a reference point. So that the problem of how to deal with that, I think, is, uh, is huge. And I'm not sure we have a quick solution to that at all. Well, that, that kind of conflicts with freedom of speech too, doesn't it? Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. the freedom of the press. So that's that's right. Those are always rough things to battle. Yes. Let, let's turn let's turn to the problem of AI giving dangerous or inappropriate advice to minors. For example, the thirteen year old girl uh, told how to lose her virginity to a thirty one year old man, or the fifteen year old told how to cover up the smell of pot and alcohol so his his parents wouldn't find out. 
the young girl told to short out a power outlet. Uh, in that case, really, it isn't slander. It's it's just giving inappropriate, dangerous, unacceptable advice. So in that case, maybe it's a little bit more clear that somebody should be liable. So who, sh- who should the parents sue in such cases if they <laughs> want to pursue that? Well, now that's a problem. Uh, that's that's a problem because there's not a long history of case law on uh, bad advice. And that's kind of what it is. It's bad advice. When you analyze a, a case like this, um, I, I hope it won't bore the listener, but there are just five things you got to look at. Who's responsible you know, for the conduct, whatever the conduct is? What duty did they owe? What legal duty did they owe to the world or to the victim? Did they breach that duty? Did, did the breach of duty cause the harm? And then what was the harm? And how do you quantify that? What exactly was it? So who is responsible is the question. If if ChatGPT, for example, gives this kind of advice that's harmful, well, then I guess ChatGPT is responsible. But then we talked about that a moment ago and said, well, it's not really ChatGPT. It'll be the programmers. Okay. Well, what do the programmers, what duty do they owe as far as giving advice to people who ask questions of that sort? Are they, you know, and this, this is a thing that could be legislated or it's a thing that could be decided by courts that do, do, must programmers ensure that no output is bad advice? That's an interesting duty. Yes, it is. And I think it's nearly impossible for large language models to assure, unfortunately. Correct. And, and, and I think it's possible and, and largely because it's words and so words have these different meanings. And I, and I think you, you gave the example of the jokes, uh, you know, Groucho Marx's joke, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. Um, <laughs> okay, so what, what does that mean? Well, so, uh, so if you were to scan text, you wouldn't always know whether this is advice or a joke. You know, arguably some chat GPT defense could be, well, we were just joking with them. We didn't really mean that. Oh, good grief! Right, okay. now, and, and so yeah. and so now you got to prove, though. No, you meant it. Well, programming didn't mean it. So, right. So, so I, I think you're going to end up with interesting defenses like that, and and you might say, well, you know, a smart judge will will know better and and not let that go, or a jury will know better and 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 not accept that kind of explanation. But there'll be some cases where they are clearly jokes that people are trying to enforce. Well, you can't rule that one out. And no, no, this is uh, this is non-trivial because because it's as you would say non-computable. Yeah, interesting. We're we're both old enough to remember uh, Ralph Nader and his book "Unsafe at Any Speed," uh, where he he really railed against the Corvair as being inappropriately designed. He launched a campaign and basically got Corvair. I don't know if he sued him. I don't know what the outcome was, but the the Corvair totally disappeared. It had a, if I remember right, a inappropriately positioned gas tank or something like that that exploded when somebody came up and tickled it. And now that was a case where it was flawed design. And Corvair was eventually eventually revealed that their design was flawed. They were responsible for it. They paid for it. And they had to compensate for it. Wouldn't that, that be the same thing? Couldn't that same argument be applied towards this chat GPT, giving these miners these terrible advice? Well, that's actually, the I think, the direction that you wrote an article on. I wrote an article on it uh, as well, uh, taking a look and saying, okay, we shouldn't maybe have to pr- prove 
exactly uh, what the mindset of the programmers was. Well, all we should have to prove is that the product was defective. And that's the strict products liability test that, uh, that applies to products. So a manufacturer can be held liable for harms caused to consumers when their product is unreasonably defective or is defective in a way that causes harm without a warning. So you have you have that model. You could say, well, uh, ChatGPT uh, was defective in that it's, it said it said things that, that caused harm. Now, if it didn't cause harm, maybe you don't have a case yet. But if they give advice and the person does put their fingers in the socket or does take the drugs or does meet up with a 31-year-old for sex and you're only 13, then you say, okay, well, we have a real case. Now, can we hold ChatGPT and its programmers or its owner, perhaps, uh, responsible because it's defective? It gave out information that was harmful. That's an argument that could be made. Um, you could also make an argument um, that it was uh, that these products are, are unreasonably dangerous. They're, they, uh, they're abnormally dangerous things, like living next to a dynamite plant. You know, the dynamite plant, you can't make it safe. I mean, that's the argument anyway. Sure. Or a toxic waste, a waste plant or something like that, or other kinds of really dangerous situations, at munitions, storage, things like that. You say, well, if you're going to store munitions here, uh, you're going to be liable for they blow up. We're not going to make other people prove that you were wrong. You should, you know, that's the cost of your doing business. Okay, so that's another way to perhaps do this. So there are ways to sort of set up a legal framework that would allow people to to go after the owners of, of the chatbots or the other AI systems that give advice, give information of the sort, conceivable to do that. But I think you have some conceptual challenges as well, uh, as we talked about, interpreting what they said. Was it really advice? Um, was it reasonable to follow it? You know, all that kind of thing. You know, this viol- I'm, I'm an electrical engineer, and engineers have something called design ethics. And the design ethics says that once you design something, it should do what it was intended to do and nothing more. There's usually two steps to this. One is in the design. You need people to come in with design domain expertise that know what the heck they're doing. And once it's designed, you need to subject it to testing. The testing also requires domain expertise. And you can never get something that's 100% right, but I think in legal parlance, you want to get it working at least to the point where it works uh, beyond, it works properly beyond a reasonable doubt. And once that is achieved, then you can put it out and, and, and sell it and not be legally liable. Uh, it seems to me that these large language models like BARD and ChatGPT haven't done that. They have done the design part, but they have not done the testing. They have not done the vetting, and they're using us to do all the testing. And that's just um, that. That to me is just uh, frustrating. Well, you, you you bring up a good point, uh, and I think the design the the designer model is a good one, and that might be the way to address these issues as as treating these services like a product, like a product that is that is that is giving an output that is either harmful or not. And if it's harmful, that it's, it's the product manufacturer's fault uh, or reliability, not necessarily fault, but certainly their liability. It's, it, it would be the cost of doing business for them or something that they could insure against or something that they could work on to make sure it doesn't happen. I think you don't get zero harm, but you could certainly reduce it if they were held responsible. I think an interesting point, um, and I think you saw this article just came out in the stream by Tom Gilson, um, editor over there, responding to you and me both, um, in which he says 
hey, fellas, uh, you're talking about holding chat, you know, the chat bots or, and, and their manufacturers liable for harm. Um, but what's harm? What does harm mean? And he, he, he laments that there is, there's no unanimous view of what constitutes harm. So if, for example, somebody thinks, I think he gave this example, um, that uh, sexual conduct between two 13-year-olds is just fine, then if the bot gives that example, uh, gives that advice to someone, there's no harm. And yet the parents may take a very different view. So now we have another sort of society level question is, okay, wh what, what is harm when it's words on a page or words on a screen? You know, is, and is advice harmful if not everyone thinks the conduct is harmful that it advises? Exactly. I, I should mention, too, that the articles written by Richard uh, Tom Gilson that he just referenced and me are linked on the podcast page if you'd like to read them and find out some more. Um, I don't know, uh, Richard. It seems to me that, uh, that, that this AI needs to be held accountable. There was a recent hearing in Congress about the control of artificial intelligence, and it seems to me that accountability should be one of the central themes uh, I don't know if that came out, but certainly that that is what should have come out. I don't like the idea of regulation. I don't like the idea of licensing. The last thing, the last thing we need in this world is another regulatory agency over <laughs> AI. Right. But but we do we do need effective laws in order for us to in order of, in order for us to survive in this exploding world of AI. So that's that's my thought. I agree with you, and at another level. Um, one of the things that we, we learn over time is that in, a, in society, a society that has a, a proper moral compass, and, and Tom Gilson talks about that, and President uh, John Adams talked about, you know, this is, this is a nation that's only going to work if you have a strong uh, moral, moral compass. Um, and when the people lose the moral compass, they start relying upon the government. Now you got a problem. If the people themselves don't think that what they're doing is wrong, and then only the government is the one that's trying, it's we're now at a, at a different level of problem. And I think that's that's the thing here. It's very similar to when everyone was real happy to pirate recorded music. Um, oh yes, in the, in the early part of the internet, and people thought, well, it's on the internet, I can have it not caring one whit that somebody else spent money, time, and maybe their entire life practicing and working and doing all the things they do to make it possible. The people, if it's on the internet, I get it for free. Why not? See, well, really? You're stealing it from them. No, I'm not. It's on the internet. See? Yep. Well, once you're there, now you have a law come in and try to protect the rights of the person you're stealing from because the people are willing to steal. Similarly now, uh, you know, are, do, do the people consider this harm or not? If it's if it's only the government trying to make it happen and the people don't care, I think we're on the wrong side of the uh, of the wave, and and that concerns me. Exactly. Okay, great. This has been a great conversation. Any final thoughts? Uh, uh, what should we do to, to to make this better? If you were testifying in front of this governmental panel, this subcommittee or whatever, that was investigating artificial intelligence, what would, you, what would your advice be? Well, there's so many different things to t talk about, but I think when it comes to the advice part, uh, I, I, th I think that might be one area where you know, maybe, maybe it would be a useful legislation because uh, legislation against, uh, um, against AI 
uh, empowered systems to give advice that causes harm. And you'd have to define how that, you know, use the language that lawyers and judges understand and all the rest. But there may be a way to, to set it up that you're not allowed to do that. Similarly, you know, we have laws against fraud. Fraud is that. It's using words to get money out of people on false pretenses. Ooh, now that's inter- That's an interesting angle. Okay. Yeah, it, it's an it's analogous. So here, I mean, it may well be that a statute and a, a finely carefully crafted statute, with in the states, I'd prefer. But if it has to be federal, maybe. But in any event, um, if you could have a statute that would 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 set you know def- define it in a similar way, if um, if the AI empowered system you know, provides information that causes harm and you rely upon that information and it does cause you harm, you know, that can cause you harm and does cause you harm, uh, that you could be, they could be liable for something. Now, what the remedy would be a question, would it be dollars? Would it be injunction? Would it be something else? I don't know. But, you know, you could do that. And I think that would be a, um, at least a warning shot, if not more to the industry. Okay. The world is not going to put up with this anymore. Their you know, actions are being taken. You know, one one of the pushbacks you get from some people uh, is is the following. They say that, well, it's the AI that made this. It wasn't the programmers. We have people like David Chalmers coming out and say, well, I think that, you know, chat GPT might be 20% sentient. Well, if it's sentient, then it's responsible for what it says. In in non-computable you, I I unpack that and show that as total poppycock. Um, but we do have a lot of people saying that, yeah, the AI should be blamed. No, the programmers need to be blamed. And, and the companies that release the software need to be blamed, especially if they don't vet it before releasing. I think you're correct. And you can also do the follow the money test. Um, and the question is, uh, is somebody getting, getting paid on account of this bad advice? Answer, yes. Oh. They are. Right. Sure. So they're selling Chat GPT and they're making money. They're getting their four hundred one ks. I mean, you know, it's all happening for them, and the bad advice is going out. So they're making money on bad advice that harms other people. So just follow the money. Okay, fascinating. Well, thank you, Richard. Uh, we've been talking to Richard W. Stevens, a lawyer and fellow of Discovery Institute's Bradley Center, about legal ways to hold AI responsible for its actions. Really interesting stuff. There's a lot to play out here, so we'll be watching and seeing what happens. So until next time on Mind Matters News, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.